Revelation chapter 11, but let's begin with prayer. Our Lord, we do want to know the facts. We do want a, a correct, proper understanding of what is going to unfold as your plan is played out. But we also want it to be a cause of worship. We want it to incite worship and trust in us, not just more information. So we are asking that as we are taught, we will see your ways and so that we may walk in your ways as we obey you, as we trust you. We ask this of you, good King Jesus. Please unfold your revelation of yourself and your ways to us tonight. Amen. Well, as we have, we are now really at the, the pivot point of the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation. We have seen Jesus take the scroll from the hand of the one seated on the throne, God the Son, the Lamb, who gave Himself, who overcame, who prevailed, who did fulfilled everything He was given to do by the Father. He has earned the right to receive the kingdom. That's why He's called the only begotten Son. Only begotten Son means the full heir. It's all coming to Him. And He takes the scroll, not that the Father doesn't willingly give it up, but He takes the scroll, meaning, and as it says, He overcame. He's earned it. He's earned the right to the inheritance that He's stepping into. And then He begins to open, break the seals. We saw that in Revelation 6. He begins to break the seals. And we saw those seals in Deuteronomy, six of those seven seals in Deuteronomy 32. We saw the seventh seal in Daniel chapter, that first seal, the white horse rider. We saw that in, in Daniel chapter 9. And then more information on that in Daniel 11 and 12. So we saw him do that. And that initiated, but the seal judgments, the seal events, actually covered the entire uh, seven-year tribulation period, as we will see, because the fifth seal is the saints crying out, the martyred saints crying out from under the altar in heaven, O Lord, Lord, how long, holy and true, before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And God says to them, Jesus says to them, wait, I will answer your prayer, but in the meantime, be patient, wait, here are your white robes, and then we're going to see that stated as being fulfilled later on in the bowl judgments, in specifically the third bowl judgment. We're going to see that prayer answered. And then that sixth seal is actually, if you read that sixth seal, it's the description of the second coming of Christ and his pouring out judgment on the nations and the, and the Antichrist and his forces. And every mountain and island is moved out of its place. We're going to see that repeated. So this, the seal judgments cover the entire seven years. The trumpet judgments, trumpets one through six, are only in the first half. And what we saw was the sounding of those six trumpets, 
the first six of the seven. Then we were brought down to earth, chapters 10 and 11. John is brought down to earth. He sees the angel standing with right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, lifting up his hand in an oath to heaven. And this is all to, and he's holding this little book that John eats the little book. Why? In order to create more energy. He's still got half of the task to do. And he's been overwhelmed, and so he needs more energy. Well, here he eats that little book, and then he's given the, the command, chapter 11, verse 1, take this reed, this measuring rod, and go measure the temple, its precincts, and its worshipers. So they are under the divine protection of God. The rest of Jerusalem, Israel signed a mutual security pact with the beast. He's the white horse rider. He's the first seal. They love this guy. <laughs> and, but for three and a half years, coinciding with their signing that mutual security pact with him, these two witnesses show up in the temple. We've identified those two witnesses as Elijah and Moses. Elijah, the very close of the book of Malachi, the last three verses of Malachi say that Elijah's going to come. Elijah never died. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. But it was both Elijah and, and, and Moses there appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so, and here would be the representative of the prophets, Elijah, who's coming at, to pre, precede the Messiah, was, for, was stated by Malachi. And then you've got Moses, the lawgiver. You talk about a testimony to Israel. <laughs> Moses and Elijah together. And they're calling down plagues. And those are the trumpet judgments. There is no rain on the earth in the three and a half years of their presence in the temple. But they're calling down plagues on Israel and the surrounding nations. Their number one goal is to drive Israel Israel to repentance. Remember Deuteronomy 32? God's description to Israel through Moses. Thus saith the Lord. You folks are horrible. You are wicked. I ought to wash my hands of you. I won't. But boy, should I ever. But I won't. And he has sent these two witnesses to drive them to repentance and last week we concluded with the event of the killing of the two witnesses by the beast that comes up out of the pit the bottomless pit we're going to see in chapter 13 this is none other than the beast who is the antichrist who is the uh, little horn of daniel 7 and so forth but he kills them. Their bodies are on the, on the sidewalk for three and a half days. The world is throwing a party. They've been able to call down all these plagues. And as I, as I quoted this passage, it hasn't rained on the earth for three and a half years. People are all over the planet are starving. And the world is throwing a party. They will not let them be buried because they're partying and they are partying because these are the ones who tormented us. Well, remember that fifth trumpet was the 
for five months, this, the locust with a scorpion-like sting, and that word was used there. They were tormented for five months so badly they wanted to die. And these men, uh, their bodies are left there. The world is thrown a party. And then suddenly, verse 11 of chapter 11, now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. Exactly what had been stated to John in chapter 4. They called him up to heaven and to the throne room of God. Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And I pointed out last week that in chapter 14, that is the expression used for how the gospel will be preached in the tribulation era. There will be an angel who will speak to all nations, tribes, tongue and, tongues, and peoples, saying, fear God and give glory to him. And that's called the everlasting gospel there in John 14. Excuse me, Revelation 14. If it's too cold in here, Ginny, would you go do the thermostat you okay so that is catching us up chapter 11 verse 14 the second woe is past that's the sixth trumpet is the second woe remember woe 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 at the sounding of the last three trumpets the second woe is past behold the third woe is coming quickly then the seventh angel sounded this is the seventh trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. John is instantly back in heaven <laughs> witnessing this event in the very throne room of God as the 24 elders fall down and worship God. And these are their words. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry and your anger, your wrath has come. You met their anger with your anger, their wrath with your wrath. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So here is this great hymn of praise coming from the 24 elders. Now, as we're looking at this, we might say, well, aren't you guys getting ahead of yourselves? The seventh trumpet is sounded. Yes, the two witnesses were just called up into heaven. This is good. 
people just repented, but there's still a lot to have. And yet here they are acting, praising, worshiping as if it's already completely done. Do we not as the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ have the right to do the same thing? When God says, I'm going to do ABC, we have a right to worship him for having done ABC. Because it is set in stone. And again, my favorite simple phrase out of the scripture is Nebuchadnezzar there in the book of Daniel where he's giving his own testimony. And he says, when he gets his mind back and he becomes a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, now I worship the God who governs amongst the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth whose hand cannot be restrained. You can't even slow him down. They're worshiping God with the knowledge that what he has promised yet to do will happen. And they are abs- they're worshiping with complete freedom and no restraint because they know it's going to happen. We have the same right to worship and trust as these 24 elders. Verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Remember in the in the tabernacle in the wilderness and until they built the and they used the tabernacle as their the center of their worship until uh, Solomon built the temple there in Jerusalem. But in the middle of the tabernacle and later the temple was the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a big chest that contained the Ten Commandments. It contained a, uh, a, an urn with manna in it to remind them of how God met their needs through the 40 years in the wilderness. And that was in the Holy of Holies where once a year the high priest would go in on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That, but that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. But remember, it was also the Ark of the Covenant that was the only time. Remember when we went over the comparison with Jericho? And the destruction of Babylon as it's represented in Revelation with the destruction of Jericho. The Ark of the Covenant was in the midst of the procession as they circled Jericho day after day. The only time in Israel's history when they were given the command by God to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. One other time they did when the sons of Eli the high priest, Hophni and Phinehas, decided that they were going to force God to give them a victory over the Philistines that he hadn't given them because they were in open rebellion against God. So he's not really into favoring open rebels. And so we're going to make God give us the victory. 
we're going to use that Ark of the Covenant like a talisman, like a pagan would use some art artifact. They took the Ark of the Covenant into the camp and the Philistines smashed them, killed both Hophni and Phinehas and captured the Ark of the Covenant. Now God miraculously brought it back to them. You can read about that on your own. But the only time they were ever given permission and in fact commanded to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle was as they circled Jericho. But here the Ark of the Covenant comes out. Just as we mentioned in that Jericho comparison, it was silence in heaven, chapter 8, verse 1, silence in heaven for half an hour to the seven angels that stand before God, priestly, were given seven trumpets. Then the fourth thing was this, that the Ark of the Covenant is brought out. And then we have in chapter 17, the whore of Babylon compared to Rahab the harlot from Jericho, the only person whose name we know. And we've got the angel in chapter 18, verse 1, mighty strong angel who comes out down and shouts with a loud shout, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. And then in verses 3 and 4 the, of chapter 18, the uh, God saying to the people, his people who are in the Babylon structure, come out of her, come out of her, lest you endure her destruction. And so you've got those seven traits from the battle of Jericho, but here we have the fourth of those seven, the Ark of the Covenant is brought out. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now in chapter 12, this first paragraph, we are going to see, we're going to be stepping back. And we're going, God is going to step us back and he's going to say, let me show you the conflict of the ages. We're going to be continuing in the book of Revelation with the specifics that attach to this, the Christ bringing his kingdom in. But let's step back for a moment and look at the context of the conflict of the ages. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. This is a portrayal of the nation of Israel. The 12 stars, the 12 tribes. Possibly, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so she's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now remember, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what did God say to the serpent? The seed of the woman will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The seed of the woman. And then later in Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive a bear and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's quoted in Matthew's Gospel as in reference to our Lord Jesus Christ for obvious reasons. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth, 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. And we're, as we're going to see, this is the portrayal of Lucifer's, of Satan's, the dragon's whole mechanism that he has created up and brought up, as we're going to see in more details later about these uh, the seven heads and ten horns and so forth. But this great fiery red dragon, who is he? It's Lucifer. This is the serpent in the, world, in the, in the garden. Does he want his head to be crushed? No. <laughs> he wants to swallow the seed of the woman. Verse 4, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. What's that? What does that depict? When Lucifer, remember Lucifer was the prime minister of all the angelic host. He was the number one angel of all of the angels in heaven. This is before the creation of man. He's the number one angel and he became lifted up by his own beauty, the sound of his own voice, and organized a third of the angels rose, joined him in rebelling against God. How did that work out for them? Not well. But he swept. The stars of heaven are a portrayal of the angels. This is where we get the fact that a third of the angels joined Lucifer in his rebellion against God. We don't know a third of how many. We don't know. Except that when the angels are described in the heavenly visions of John, they're going beyond the horizon. He can't even count that high. On this planet, the, the pagans who worship demons, well, for example, uh, Dev Chetri uh, told me, who was Hindu background, he now pastors... Uh, Beth Shalom Fellowship in Kathmandu, Nepal. <laughs> but he was raised as a Hindu. He, 33 million Hindu, just Hindu gods and goddesses. And if you ask a Hindu in India, what gods do you worship? He will pick the local ones. Because no, no Hindu god is big enough to cover the whole country. So they, they each have their localities. They each have their specialties. And so you worship the gods. They're going to bring you the most benefit. And by the way, it's mainly extortion. If you don't worship them, they beat you up. <laughs> and so it's not really a, a nice, pure love. It's, okay, it's a mafia type situation. I'm serious. But that's just India. 33 million and then you add to that the rest of the planet. I'm sorry? Yes. Well, the Gurkhas are actually a series of tribes in Nepal. Yes, and they're the, they the radical, they're the most committed Hindus. Well, they're, like I said, they're the most radical committed to Hinduism, but God is saving them too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nepal has hit, Nepal which is where they're from, uh, has had an enormous turning to Christ. Uh, but I'm just pointing out here, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now we read the narrative in the Gospel of Luke and the narrative in the Gospel of Matthew. Apparently God totally hid Lucifer's eyes from what was taking place. Until Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus is and Mary and Joseph are still living in Bethlehem, the Magi come from the east and they come to Jerusalem. And they come to Herod the Great, the Edomite who's been set over the Jews by the Roman emperor. And they come to him and say, where is he who has been born, unlike you, born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. And Herod the Great, (laughs) he quietly goes to the Jewish uh, theologians uh, where is Messiah supposed to be born? And they tell him, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And he, they quote the prophet Micah, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among all the villages of Judah, yet from out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler among my people, whose goings forth, oh, by the way, you're not his true point of origin, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. Yeah, he's born there, but he's actually from everlasting prophet Micah and so he goes back to the Magi with that information they go to Bethlehem they come to the house not stable they come to the house knock on the door and Mary opens the door. it's probably the middle of the day Joseph is at work (laughs) and they come in and present their gifts and they worship Jesus Then they are warned by God, by an angel, don't go back. Because Herod says, hey, and when you find him, let me know so I can come and worship him too. And apparently they bought that until they were warned by an angel. And so they sneaked out another way. And then God warned Joseph by means of a, a dream. Joseph, take the young child and his mother, notice young child, not infant, to Egypt. And so he does that, and then Herod the Great figures out he's not been, uh, he's been misled by the Magi, so he gives the command, and they kill all the boys in the region of Bethlehem who are two years old and below. What do we have here? She bore a male child. Well, excuse me, verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's right out of Psalm 2, by the way. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. When Jesus went through the crucifixion experience, put in the rich man's tomb, he comes, he's raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven in the sight of the 40 days later, ascended into heaven <coughs> in the sight of the apostles. Her child is caught up to God into his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 200 excuse me, 1,260 days. And that's jumping forward to this tribulation narrative. Because what happens is, (coughs) well, why would Lucifer want to destroy the woman? I mean, he cared about the child. It was the child that was going to crush his head, not the woman. 
but he is so filled with rage, he's got to kill the woman. And of course, what has happened, we saw in the, in the beginning part of chapter 11 here, as we're going to see, when the Antichrist turns around and says to them, this is the abomination of desolation, we saw this in Daniel, hey, you folks need to know, I'm your Messiah. That's where the term Antichrist comes from, Christ replacement. And the anti prefix in the Greek language can be mean both against, but also can mean, mean replacement. He isn't going to say, I'm against Jesus, although he will be, and he will admit it. His principal claim is, I am your Messiah. And that's when the blinders fall off the Jewish eyes and they, uh, mm, that doesn't work for us. <laughs> and so the destruction of the Jews goes to the top of his to-do list. Verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. There is a place of divine protection and provision to the east, the ancient lands of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, where there will be, for three and a half years, they will have divine protection and provision. But they have to get there. And that's gonna, we're going to get more details on that in just a moment. The woman is Israel. It's the believers of Israel. And this is where, what did it say in chapter 11, 13? It said, when, they, when the earthquake took place, they were afraid, they feared God and gave glory to Him. So suddenly you've got this significant number of people in Jerusalem who've repented, who are become, have become immediately authentic followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, where are they going to go to escape the promised destruction? They can go to the east. To this place of divine protection and provision. Yes. Yes. The, uh, the rose red city of Petra. Is in that region. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well notice verse 7. Because what we're leading up to. Now beginning in verse 7 is. There was a woe attached to the fifth trumpet. The woe was those scorpion-stinging serpents. There was a woe attached to the sixth trumpet, which these dragon-like creatures with horse and lion faces and so forth kill one-third of the human race. What's the woe that is attached to the seventh trumpet? That's what we're going to find out. And war broke out in heaven. Michael... And his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they, the dragon and his angels, did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Wait a minute. What, 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 what? You mean Lucifer and his angels have access to heaven right now? Yeah, they do. In fact, as we're going to see in a moment, Satan stands day and night before the throne of God accusing you and me of our sins. He's the accuser of the brethren. Jo the oldest book in our Bible is the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Lucifer is, goes to heaven and he has to report in to God. 
oh, well, there may be a conflict of some sort, but we're not given any real details on that. But this is going to be the end of it. <laughs> Again, uh, verse 8, they, the dragon and his angels, did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. Don't make any mistakes about who I'm talking about here. The devil, the serpent of old, from Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they, the brethren, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Number one, that they had to have, they had to be heirs of the benefit of Christ's work on the cross. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. When Lucifer tried to intimidate them into shutting up, they said, no, I will not shut up. I will continue to tell the truth about Jesus, even if it's unto death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They chose death rather than loving themselves and loving their lives. They chose to love Christ unto death. Just as Paul, you know, Paul could have, Paul could have escaped with a beating, but he didn't do that. He, told, he stood before Nero and told the truth, and he paid with his life. Peter could have escaped with a beating, but he didn't do that. He stood before Nero and told the truth, and he got crucified upside down. They, they chose death rather than to dishonor or disrespect their Lord. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that, his time, that he has a short time. That's the third woe. That's the third woe that attaches to the seventh trumpet is Satan has been cast down to the earth. Suddenly, here you are on this planet. You've already been rocked through three and a half years of tribulation now this great tribulation is going to happen. And what is the woe attached to the seventh trumpet? I'm giving you what you asked for. I pointed this out with the sixth trumpet. When they were being tormented, the fifth trumpet, they're being tormented. They wanted to die. What did God give them with the sixth trumpet? What they wanted. And a third of the human race dies. These are people that are dwelling on the earth. They are worshiping Lucifer. And basically, God is saying, oh, you like Lucifer? I'll give you Lucifer. And he knows he has only a short time. He knows what the timeline is. And he is going to be frantic. 
and you, I'm giving you what you wanted, it's not going to work out well for you. Again, verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and, of the, and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The first paragraph of this chapter, what happened? The woman flees into the wilderness. And we're going to see that repeated with more details. Verse 14, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Okay, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. This is divine provision. I don't... It, it was years before I realized this. When Israel left Egypt, uh, they were given divine energy. They marched night and day out of Egypt all the way to where they stopped at the Red Sea, which was actually on the east side of the uh, Sinai Peninsula. Because they did their wandering, not in the Sinai Peninsula, which is what most people were talking They did their wandering in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And all the proof is for that. But they, they were, day and night they marched. Divine energy. Well, that sort of thing is described right here. The woman was given the wings of a, two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, that place of divine protection and provision, where she is nourished for a time and times, one, two, three, and half a time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. She, and so she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. He can't reach her once she's reached that place of protection and provision she's not touchable to him verse 15 what does he do so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood well it may actually be a flood of water my own guess is that and i want to say guess not thus saith the lord he actually sends an army after her. But notice what happens. Verse 16, But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon has spewed out of his mouth. My suggestion is that the same way that the waters of the Red Sea engulfed Pharaoh and his army, instead this will be a <laughs> dry flood. The earth will open up and swallow this army that Lucifer sends after the woman. So there will be divine energy supplied, but also divine protection. Verse 17, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, these people who won't worship me, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There has been a large turning 
to Jesus as Messiah by the Jewish people. Now, he will afflict, as we will see in chapter 13, he will afflict people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. But his number one hatred is on the Jewish people who refuse to worship him. Well, it says, I, I think he will be wanting to wipe out all the Jews. In fact, the battle of Armageddon is when he incites his followers to come to Jerusalem to wipe out all of the Jews there completely. And they are not, though Jews in Jerusalem are not believing Jews until, as we saw in Zechariah 12, he rips open the heavens, comes out, and they, he pours out a spirit of repentance on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Jewish people are, yes. Mm -hmm. This is going to, there's a powerful impact being made in Israel. Okay. 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 Well, Chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now let me tell you chapter 13. Let me give you a thumbnail on this. Chapter 13 is Lucifer's agenda. It's what he, okay, this is my plan to take over and dominate the earth and to make it a place where I can uh, fortify myself against the true and living God. Uh, yes, he is insane. But this is his agenda. And when we get to chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus answering agenda in chapter 14. But here in chapter 13, this is his agenda. Then I stood, I, John, stood on the sand of the sea. And so he's back down on the earth. Remember in chapter 10, the, the angel, his right foot was on the sea, his left foot on the land. And as we saw in Daniel 7, the beast that came up out of the sea, the sea represents that tumultuous uh, environment from which pagan power rises. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, John speaking, and I, John, saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Okay, let's stop right here. There's a lot here. This is a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And we will see more details on this later. Let me just give you... When we were looking at Daniel 7, we saw the beast rising up out of the sea, but it started with Babylon, the lion-type-like beast. And then the next beast that was named in Daniel 7 was the uh, Persian beast, the bear beast. And then the third one was the leopard beast. And then the fourth beast was the beast that was so terrifying that there was no beast in nature that could be compared to it that's the roman beast that sh that just grinds all of its enemies to powder under its feet and it was out of that beast that the little horn 
came, which is the Antichrist. Well, yes. Right. Right. But this this is Satan's agenda. Right. Okay. Well, it's the same. No, it's the same beast. It's the same rendition. But this is a beast that's giving us a figure. There's not an actual beast. <laughs> it is a it is a visual for us of how the power of Lucifer has been expressed through the ages and as it will be expressed at this time. So what are these seven beasts? Well, in Israel's history, and remember this beast's principal enemy is Israel. In Israel's history, there are seven powers that afflicted Israel. The first one was Egypt. The second one was Assyria. The Assyrians are the ones that took the ten northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes rather, into captivity. And then, after the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians, the Babylonians became that third uh, power that afflicted Israel. So that's three. Number four was the Persians. And now we're, we're into the beasts of Daniel 7. And then you've got the Greeks, the Alexander's Empire. And then the Roman beast. So you've got these. You've got Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, that's six. And what we're going to see, why is there a seventh head? Because the Rome is revived. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 7, that the beast will be killed, but then it will be, there will be a revived form of the Roman Empire. And that is the seventh beast. And we're, what's really going to throw us for a loop is we're going to actually come to an eighth one. And we're going to see at that moment what that's talking about. But this is a depiction, just as in chapter 12, where we had a picture of the conflict of the ages with the dragon trying to consume the baby coming from the woman. Here, this is, a, this is the conflict of the ages in the form of these beasts. And so, I, I stood on the sand of the sea... And I heard a beast, excuse me, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we are never told on what heads these ten horns are. My guess, can I do this? My guess is all ten horns are on the seventh head because what is going to happen, as we're going to see in chapter 16, is that the beast... The Antichrist is going to incite his ten followers, the ten kings who have submitted to him. He's going to incite them to leave their kingdoms and come and join him and come to Jerusalem to annihilate the Jews. And it will state that there are ten of them. And so I'm suggesting that these ten horns, and horns are used to depict power, these ten horns with crowns on them are these ten nations or kings that have submitted themselves to the power of the beast, the Antichrist. And notice the description in verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. 
Daniel chapter 7. His feet were like the feet of a bear, Daniel chapter 7. His mouth is the mouth of a lion. So there are characteristics of all those beasts found in Daniel 7 in this beast. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So who is it that is animating all of this activity? It is the dragon. It is the serpent. It is Lucifer. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Well, what is this? Apparently, someone tries to assassinate him. He is killed or almost killed and miraculously revived. As we're going to see in chapter 13, there are miracles. They're able to do miracles. And what is this? Why is it that he's able to stand before the Jews and say, hey, you fellows need to know that I'm your Messiah. Why? Because he was killed and raised from the dead. He is a fake Jesus. He literally will be saying to the Jewish people, I'm your Messiah. That fellow from Nazareth, forget about him. No, I'm your Messiah. And so here is a fake or a satanic rendition of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what does the world do? What they would not do when the real Christ was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, they will worship him. So they worshiped the dragon. So all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped they, who? The, the people. They worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Eh, there will be an end time. 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven, who just threw him out. It was granted to him, to the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He will be worshipped. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Pay attention to what I'm saying. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. This is not going to work out well. Because they're going to lead people into captivity, but they're going to be led into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience, the endurance, and the faith of the saints. What will sustain God's people who are on earth when all of this is taking place? Mr. Beast, Mr. Dragon, and as we're going to see in the next paragraph, 
uh, Mr. False Prophet, you're going to lose. Can you kill me? Yes, you can kill me. But you're going to lose, and I am going to win. Here is the patience, here is the endurance of and faith of the saints. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound is healed. This is the fellow that's called the false prophet. Now let me make a suggestion here. What you have here is a satanic trinity. The dragon is the God the Father replacement. The Antichrist is the God, the beast is the God the Son replacement. And this false prophet is the God the Holy Spirit replacement. What is the role of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity. His principal role is to point people to Jesus. He's here to convict us of our need for, what, for, to, for Christ's work on the cross. He's here to, for us as, his follow, as the followers of Christ, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in uh, conformity and obedience to God in the in the strength of God. So you've got really a satanic trinity here in the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Again, verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image, to this idol to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. I'm sure you've all heard the expression, the mark of the beast. Well, this is where it comes from. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the beast or the number of his name. You will be cut off from all trade. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. His number is six, six, six. Now, where is the number six associated with man? Adam was created on the sixth day of creation. What's the number we associate with God? Seven. Seven is the number of perfection. Six is the number attached to man. The almost God. 
made in the image of God, but he's not God. Well, this is a man who will demand image of another, or worship of another man. And that's why there's a limitation here. The number is 666. Well, we're going to call a halt here, and we will pick up next week with chapter 14, which is Jesus' answering agenda for how he will deal with the issues of the last three and a half years. Any comments or questions? Well, that could be, yes, it could be a representation of the Trinity, yeah. Our Lord Jesus, uh, what we have just read tonight is going to happen, but we are not to fear Lucifer. We are to walk in as the believers in that day. They will fear you and give you glory. Lord, you are the God whose hand cannot be restrained. You do all things according to your own purpose for your own glory and thankfully thank you thank you thank you you love mercy you are good you are loving you are kind you are generous we're so grateful that you are all those things and the enemy of our souls is none of them though he pretends to be we thank you for what you've shown us not just of what is going to take place but you've shown us of your ways. You will protect the woman, the believers of Israel in that future day in a powerful, powerful way and bring them to a place of divine protection and provision. And so you have already done for us. We dwell in a place of divine protection and provision. It is called your mercy that belongs to us because of what your son did for us on the cross in his finished work. In your name, Jesus, we, we give thanks. Amen.